folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling, the uncovering of the eternal state, spiritual realities. Yeah, sure, you can't see them to the naked eye, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. There's a lot more than just the material world, all things visible and invisible, to pick up the language of the creed there, we believe it. Last time, we took a look at the seven bowls of wrath. and One of these things that Revelation does, groups of sevens, cycles of sevens, covering the same sort of ground, and yet at the same time, there is progress. There is a kind of development as you go from beginning to end of the book. We're going to get a sense of that now here uh, as well, because as we get to the end, we're going to basically be presented with two women, two brides. It's very typical of Revelation to give you two of something. There are two cups, two waters, two kinds of wrath, two kinds of blood, two kinds of war, one or the other, no neutral ground, no safe spot, free of all religious conviction, you might say, in in between. It's one or the other. There are two ways, the way of life, the way of death. In chapter 17, we get introduced to the great prostitute, which is the false bride, the false wife, the false church. If you forget everything, chapter 17, the false church. And one of the things on the docket is to figure out why this particular imagery for the false church, the woman, the prostitute stuff, the beast, and so on, what does that teach about the other church, the false church, of all times and places. Keep that in mind as we hear the text. So here we go, chapter 17, as we get closer to the wife, the bride of the lamb. We're presented with the contrast first, this great prostitute. Uh, So things are, we're, you know, only a few chapters away now, what, five chapters left. So four after this, things are are uh, coming to a kind of culmination here. But first, uh, the great prostitute to figure out what the false church is up to before we get the the wife of the, uh, the lamb. All right, so the text of Revelation reads as follows, chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carry her, carries her. 
The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Alrighty. So there we have the text of Revelation chapter 17. Maybe you've heard of it before, the great prostitute and the beast. First things first is that we are introduced to all of this with one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, that ties this chapter together with the previous chapter, chapter 16 with all those seven bowls, seven wraths. Again, this... Um, is a very ministerial group. I've said this multiple times. It's worth repeating these seven angels. That, I take, grounds it in the reality of what's happening in the church throughout all times and places. The word is being preached. Sacraments are being administered. And so when Revelation gives you these seven angels, it's a way to depict spiritual realities that are happening right here, right now, throughout the age of the church as ministers preach and uh, administer the sacraments. This ties, uh, the reason you tie these things together is to say that as the Lord, through his pastors, preaches and teaches and, and gives out the sacrament, there is also um, a false bride, a false church, a great prostitute. And that, I guess, one thing, one implication is that both of these brides should be at the forefront of our thinking and reflecting and preaching and teaching. There is one thing, of course, we're going to certainly proclaim that uh, this marriage, this mystery is profound, and it's the marriage between Christ and his church and what that that bride of our bridegroom Christ should be all about. That should take center focus. But at the same time, we must also realize, preach and teach, that there is, the only other way is a false bride, a false church, and uh, the ways of that false church. Chapter 17 here preaches the ways of that false church. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Um, we'll learn later, verse 15, you heard this, the many waters 
um, where the prostitute is seated, peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So right away you get the sense that, again, Revelation cues you up. We're giving you imagery, but this also stands for something. So we have this prostitute seated on many waters. Um, you might ask, first I guess you might think of all the images to use, why use a woman? Why use a particular kind of woman? But this is how the false church works, and that is it's attractive, it is seductive, it tempts, it lures, and it seeks to unite to individuals very closely, very intimately. This is, of course, uh, a sexual, I mean, prostitution, right? What do prostitutes do? We know this. And so that's a depiction of what the false church does. It unites very intimately with an individual and, as it were, becomes one flesh. This is just language straight out of 1 Corinthians 6. This don't you know that you're, if you're joined with somebody in this way, you become one flesh with her in this way. And uh, this is the same thing with the false church. It's seductive, it lures you in, and, it's, and it captivates in a very persuasive and intimate way. We need to know this. We need to be on guard against this. And so, verse 1 again, one of these pastors, you might say, the seven angels, says, Come, I will show you what this great prostitute is up to. It, now, I will show you the judgment, as in, rest assured, that uh, the end of the story is known right now. This prostitute is defeated. I will show you the judgment of this great prostitute. But at the same time, you must also know, verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have have become drunk. Um, This is important to know. Power, authority, individuals with status are affected by this false church, the ways of the false church. And uh, the imagery of wine, of course, can't just be coincidental. Wine, anybody who's anybody wouldn't have missed it. First century Christians would have heard that wine and thought, there are two wines. One is in the Lord's Supper, in with and under, body, blood, right? That wine with in with under blood. And this is, wait, a wine that is consumed um, by... The other church, there are two cups, two wines, two bloods, two sacraments. One's true, one's false. And this is how the false church works. It is consumed. Um, It's like a pseudo Lord's Supper, you might say. It's a sacramental false church. It takes people captive by what they consume The stuff is consuming them, and they are consuming it. The rule is in people after. It's not just this abstract concept. Um, The great prostitute is captivating people by what is consumed by them, and they have become drunk. That is, it has impaired their judgment. They're not able to see clearly. They're not able to think clearly. They're not able to speak orthodoxly they're not able to you might think of uh romans 1 literally uh when paul says debased mind it's an unthinking thinker it doesn't work correctly 
So this language of drunkenness is a very big, rich kind of term and concept throughout the scriptures. Drunkenness, um, spiritual drunkenness here. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Okay, this is exactly, oh, this is into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. First things first is, again, he carried me away into the wilderness. The only other place in Revelation where wilderness pops up is for the true church. The Lord prepares a place for you in the wilderness of this world. And I love the language that he uses here in verse 3, in the wilderness, as in there's a false church that's also, okay, in the wilderness, in the spirit which is exactly the language of the Lord's day, which is to say that, again, this is a very sacramental reality. This false church has a cup, has wine, has a Lord's day too, as it were, only it's the beast day, you might say, where the people are consuming the pseudo-sacraments that the beast offers through this, this prostitute, the things of the flesh, what we love for the flesh to consume, what entices the flesh, um, this is totally our culture, a culture of consumption. Um, one that is basically drunk on the things of this world. This is like first order material for how the great prostitute works, how the beast works through the great prostitute. Um, again, this language of wilderness and spirit is this very Lord's Day kind of language. And I think it's to, it's to emphasize that there's a a pseudo-liturgy going on right now. The false church is constantly enticing individuals with a kind of drunkenness, the other wine, the other sacrament. Here, consume this. Maybe this will do for you what you need done for you. Maybe this will give happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction or whatever the case. So I saw a woman seated on... Okay, so the, the woman is seated on the waters... And then now we have this, wait a minute, the woman um, was sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Okay, the language of scarlet, I must say, this is totally, um, what, all over the tabernacle, all over the priests. I mean, that's the thing here. This is a priestly reality. Why are you dressing up in the language of the priest? Scarlet robe for our Lord in the passion why are you wearing the color of our Lord? A kind of pseudo-piety, a pseudo-priest, a pseudo-passion. Here, I'll sacrifice something for you. Sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names. We talked about this a little bit as the Lord has the triune name and individuals are baptized into that name. We have blasphemous names. Talked about this earlier, chapter 13 and so on. On its head, seven heads, or seven heads and uh, ten horns. Talked about this earlier, too. Um, the horns, I mean, I just wonder, it's power and authority, but also is it horns of the altar? It has false altars all over the place. Um, heads and horns. Um, this is the relationship, too, of the beast and the harlot. Um, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Again, this is purple, the language. It's in John 19. They put our Lord in purple and scarlet. Again, this is a very liturgical color. Um, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. This is totally what the... that's. This is going to be the new Jerusalem. Gold and city and pearls and stones. 
um, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and impurities. This is, I mean, gold. All this stuff is, this is going to be New Jerusalem, the true church. Tabernacle stuff, gold, lots of, and uh, notice the clothing is first, right? The cup, think Lord's Supper, only this is like a pseudo cup. Okay. On her forehead was written, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes, the Earth's Abominations. It's like all the false stuff, all the false church, false baptism, false name, false cup, false Lord's Supper. The woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All this is coming together in this imagery. Um, there is this other bride, and this is what the false church, The, you know, the... I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. The woman makes drunk and is drunk. And even so, um, the saints all the same are participating in this judgment. The Lord will not let this false church prevail. This false church is impaired, is drunk. And the means by which the Lord impairs this false church is the blood of the saints that even as they are persecuted and beheaded, we heard earlier, martyred, it's by means of that blood that this woman is judged. The saints participate in this judgment. They will be victorious. It's by means of their blood, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, where this false church is put to shame. I'll say more about that soon, but we got to take a break. We'll be right back with the rest of Chapter 17 when we return. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 16, this false church, false bride, the great prostitute. Notice, you know, she's also called the mother of prostitutes. She's a prostitute. She's called the mother of prostitutes. So she's a bride. She's a mother. Think Holy Mother Church, right? But this is the false church, the false mother false bride, and uh, you got to know that um, this woman entices, lures away 
and in pairs, and yet all the same, even as she offers a pseudo-cup, she is forced to drink um, the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. I mean, again, cup and drinking and blood and wine, this is all... Everything about the first six chapter very liturgical. This stuff is grounded. As the Lord's, I mean, this is the thing about Revelation. It's not just some weird imagery from way up there or way down there. It's something that's going on right now. And so we have this, whoa, this is what's taking place. As the true God does the true liturgy and so on, this is the false liturgy, the false sacrament and so on. Uh, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. And this is totally the church. We are always enticed. We are always tempted to pick up some of the ways of the false church. Theologies of glory and so on. This kind of, maybe we should change our theology. Maybe we should change our teaching. Maybe we should, I mean, the list is endless. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. And he said to me, why do you marvel? And that's the question for the church of all times and places. Why are you marveling so much with what this other church has to offer? You know that these things won't last. You know that they won't do for you what you ultimately need done for you. You know that there's no substitute for the true wine that is in with and under our Lord's body and blood, for the forgiveness of sins, the true name by which the only name under heaven by which we, we must be saved, the true teaching, the truth, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So this is kind of, a again, a false god. This beast, think earlier about the one who, who is and was and is to come, you know, this kind of language. It's, uh, I think I described it in chapter 1 as a kind of throwback to Exodus 3 when the Lord reveals his name. Uh, so this is, again, when you allude to this beast as the one who is and was and is, is about to rise, it's a kind of pseudo-God. It's a pseudo, that's how the beast works, it's how the devil works, it's... Evil is boring. It's it's unoriginal. It's not creative. It's it's a it's a depravity or it's a de, it's a departure from what truly is, and so in order for this to do what it does, it has to mimic the true God, and we learn here that uh, well, about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Its end is destruction. That should change our perspective when we're in the here and now, facing the ways of the false church, the ways of the the prince of the power of the air, as Ephesians puts it. Its end is destruction. You're working with a defeated power. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. It's a kind of idolatry. Again, it's it's marveling after what is not truly God. You get rid of God and what do you do? You set up an idol. You go after something else because you recognize that I must, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in need of something greater than the self. And before you know it, that turns into reverence and worship and, and full-blown idolatry. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. A very clear reference to Rome, and yet at the same time, notice... 
Rome isn't used. Very big point for the text of Revelation. The seven heads are seven mountains. Now, everybody in the, I mean, again, first century, you're hearing this, you're thinking, of course, you're, re- you're referring to Rome. And yet the text doesn't use the word Rome because this is not just about Rome. It's about any power of any, notice the number seven, right? That's the even bigger point here is that this is encompassing all seven, perfect number, comprehensive. This is encompassing all powers that would set themselves up. Again, hill and revelation, mountain. The lamb with the 144 is on the mountain, Mount Zion. There are other false mountains all over the place, false safe havens in the wilderness of this world, things we take refuge in that will totally fail us, seven mountains on which the woman is seated. These, This is how the false church works. The Lord has his mountain, Mount Zion, and then what is it? You build a church and then Satan builds a chapel next door. Here's a, here's a safe haven instead. There are also seven kings. Notice, again, this is big for Revelation. We love to just pin everything down to one thing means one thing. But seven heads are what? Well, seven heads are seven mountains, but they are also, verse 10, seven kings. So they're also people. They're places and people. And so they can stand for more than one thing. It's, it's just big points here for how to read the book of Revelation before we just get like, oh, well, seven mountains are Rome. Next question. No, it's got to be more than that. And the text clearly says, well, they are also this. Seven kings, five of whom fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does, he must first remain only a little while. This, again, is also representative. Some have tried to pin this down. Hey, where, who were the Caesars? And, you know, they try to track one, two, three, four, five. And maybe John was writing during the six. And then he's trying, you know, getting the seven and all this sort of stuff. No, it is... It is typical, as in typological, it's a type, it's representative of the world powers of all times and places. There are also seven kings. These seven mountains refer to the kinds of rulers and authorities throughout all times and places. Most of them are done. We are in the age of the sixth. The other has not come, and when he comes, he's only going to remain a little while, which means we're in the end times we're in this sixth day waiting for the, the seventh, our seventh day rest. Um, as for the beast that was and is not, is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh that goes to destruction. Is an eighth. It seems like a spillover. It seems like he was dead and done and yet came back to life. Kind of an eighth day resurrection, pseudo resurrection kind of thing. But he really belongs to the seventh. He really belongs to the consummation, this kind of when things are done, though, at the end of Revelation the, and the, the beast is thrown into the fire, all worldly powers are going with them. There is no eighth. Uh, the, the only true eighth is our Lord, his resurrection. That's the newness there. Any other thing, this kind of mortal wound but, but rose again, is a false resurrection, a false power. It really belongs to the seventh. And it will reign only a little while. We are in the last days we're waiting for the consummation. Five are done. We are that close. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal, but they are to receive authority for one hour together with the beast. Again, ten is a number of completeness or kind of all totality. Um, all these kings, all these powers, they will only reign for a short time. 
They're of one mind. They hand over their power and authority to the beast. That's the thing about my name is Legion, for we are many. They all have the same sort of speak, the same sort of mind. Um, this is all the ways of the false church. The, the false church affects worldly powers and influences to do destruction against the true church. Again, we talked about this earlier. What was it? Chapter 11, when the prophets, when people who preach God's word are put to shame, the false church is doing liturgies and psalms and they're having party and exchanging cash. If you persecute Christians, if you go after the the true church, there's money in it for you. And that's why these kings are all of one mind. They like what the beast has to offer. They're united with this great prostitute. They're influenced and they're benefiting. They receive authority. They receive power. They receive cash. They hand over all this to the beast. They'll make war on the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. The victory belongs to the lamb. He's the true king. So any type of worldly power that threatens the true church, we know that the Lord, the Lamb, the eighth, the true eighth power is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Okay. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated, these are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. We talked about that earlier. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Notice what happens. They start hating each other. Wait a second. I thought everything was good. It was kind of a, I mean, we were loving each other and now it's a hate thing. So we got like a love, we got like a love hate thing going on. This is exactly the ways of the world. They'll make war on her. um, They'll make her desolate, naked, devour her flesh, burn her up with fire. For God has put it in his hearts to carry, put in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominions over the kings of the earth. This is exactly how our Lord chooses to deal with this kind of false church, this evil stuff. He makes it such that they are self-defeating. Their self, the judgment is like self-inflicted. They're self-defeating. Um, evil can't really exist. It tends toward self-implosion. The Lord makes it such that, I mean, I don't know, you have the bigger brother that takes your you know, hand and stop hitting yourself, that sort of thing. The Lord defeats evil with evil. It defeats death with death. The prostitute is eventually hated. This is totally how, I mean, the ways of the world, think about what the world is up to, and then you buy into it, and everybody loves, oh, you know, everybody's loving it, and you get along well, and the money's rolling. And then what happens, all of a sudden, you say one thing that the world doesn't like. Think cancel culture. Think, you know, this kind of this kind of idea. And then it's what? How dare you say that we will destroy you. We will devour you. We were so tight. We had a good thing going. We were, you might say, intimate. Again, think the imagery of prostitute and so on. I hate you now. How dare you say something that would back uh, traditional marriage, for example? How dare you not cave to the pressures that we applied to you? We will destroy you. And they end up destroying each other. 
They'll make war on her. They'll make her naked. They'll devour her flesh. Think again. This is a kind of a, a, a parody, a grim parody of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper. There's this kind of, you will devour one way or the other. You will consume Christ's body and blood, or you will devour the flesh of one another, of evil. It won't exist. It tends toward destruction and the Lord has put it in their hearts to carry it out this way the Lord will defeat death with death and he has done that by the blood of his son on the cross par excellence this is how the words of God are fulfilled as his word goes forth as that ministerial group preaches it this is how the ways of the false church are also put to shame and again that comes to a culmination and how death is defeated by death by Christ Jesus, our Lord. A rich chapter, lots more to say, but we are out of time. We'll pick it up next time in our study of Revelation with chapter 18 and 19. Tell your friends that they too can learn more about God's Word with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.